Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Good morning and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Market Rundown with Sean Hackett. Sean, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good, Mr. Casey. Doing real good. Good deal, man. Well, we had a lot of stuff happen yesterday. I mean, there's a... And I don't think any of it was actually meant to be a big market mover by any means, but um, Secretary Lighthouser had a... uh, had an impromptu uh, testimony in front of Congress that had nothing to do with China, and then he started talking about China. And normally, the the China hawk, if you will, um, had some positive news about about some trade issues. So, talk about that a little bit, and and how do you see that? I mean, it really feels like they're getting close. Like we're really kind of moving in a direction that, in the next, I don't know, hopefully by the end of the month, the president and and uh, President Xi can get together and, and have a meeting and talk about. You know, ironing this thing out from all intents and purposes, it sounds like it's basically a, a, a deal, more or less. They just have to do some formalities and get together and sign up. But nobody's let really let on to that. So, give me your opinion of that and where you see that heading. Well, I mean, anytime that one of the strongest hawks uh, says something less hawkish, you know, the market's clearly going to start listening because you know, if he's softening his position or if he's starting to feel encouraging, then you know going very well. He's been, he would be the last one to give in right. uh, to things going well. And so I, it does appear that given his willingness to be more friendly towards how things have been going, that we must clearly be making progress and getting very close to some kind of a, an arrangement, a deal, an understanding, whatever you want to call it, but at least some truce that we're going to have some more normal trading and maybe at least a better deal than the one we had before and, and help farmers and exports and prices out a little bit and kind of sidelines get back to what we normally worry about which is currencies and weather and you know other other factors that normally drive the market so obviously that's encouraging one the one thing we do want to uh, ex- uh, express is that we follow the insiders in the ag markets uh, these are what we call smart money and and they would know more about what's going on with these negotiations than anybody else and we're trying to convey in our report we sent out to subscribers a few days ago is that, that we're seeing buying in agriculture, especially the grain markets, in a manner that we haven't seen. We'd have to go back to, to December, January of 2018 to see this kind of, of intense buying in this group. So it's been a while. And you'd have to believe that that kind of buying wouldn't be occurring if they weren't positive that something was good was going to come from trade. So we think that buying, along with Mr. Lightsizer's uh, friendly comments, does prove does look to us like we're going to get a truce and, and and maybe some better market environment for 2019, which we so desperately need. You know. Yep. So nothing that happened yesterday too, which I thought by law that that wheat wasn't able to go up. I thought it was just like some of those things that could only go down, and because apparently that's all that's been happening. And I guess the president vetoed that like yesterday, but corn or wheat had a shot up yesterday. <laughs> yeah. He had a, uh, we, we did have a move yesterday to the positive side. So talk about what you see happening in the wheat market and um, 
how I guess there's got to be some pressure there from this fall with the the uh, acreage reports and stuff like that. They're going to start coming out. They're going to start showing that there's not as much wheat has been planted, um, and and you know our stocks and those kind of things. And, and China's talk about buying wheat and those kind of things. So talk about that a little bit, and we see that headed. Well, you know, some markets, you know, because we deal with highly leveraged contracts and futures. There's times that markets go down for fundamental reasons. There's times that markets go down for financial reasons. People get caught in margin calls, forced selling. And so, you know, wheat the last couple of days prior to yesterday got caught in one of these selling vortexes, which selling begets selling begets selling. And it just, it kind of got stupid. It wasn't being sold because it was anything bearish, which is the hack you know, people had to sell and the market got caught wrong footed. Having said that, when we look at any kind of trade deal, it's been mentioned multiple times that we would be a market that would be purchased, at least the higher quality wheat would be purchased by the Chinese in fairly large quantities. So that really is something that the market would, would expect to be a bullish fundamental factor that would lower U.S. stocks. At the same time, we know acres are down uh, from what they were supposed to be due to the last year's poor weather. We know uh, that the ratings, the conditions of the winter wheat crop dropped 10 percentage points a few weeks back on the good to excellent because of the adverse weather we've had this winter, the cold, the snow, everything. And everything that we see uh, post-dormancy, when it comes out of dormancy, is that the spring is going to be fraught with all kinds of flood, uh, uh, flooding problems, uh, rain problems, and, and, and not ideal conditions for the crop to finish out. And so we think that means yields are going to have to throttled back down. And this all says to us that the current uh, ending stocks estimates that the USDA came out with in the last report are probably the highest we're going to see for the year, and they're going to start knocking them down in future reports, which means we've probably made a major low on that big reversal yesterday. I mean, a lot of times that's what happens. You get these big whipsaw reversals and prints the low for a long time. We think that's probably happened in the KC wheat market specifically. We triggered a smart money buy signal in that market, the first one since January of 2018 in the past week. So that would say, you know, improve our likelihood that that was, in fact, a very important low for that market. Yep. Okay, so speaking of your smart money report, I was looking through it this morning, kind of kind of getting ready for this here and kind of going over a few things. And, uh, and a few things jumped out at me. One was the, uh, the cotton market. Um, the cotton market's been on a tear here for the last... 18 to 24 months um, it's been really the the one if you're in the areas that can grow cotton it's been one of the really true profitable crops that are out there that that guys are making money on um and and you had some some reservations in your report about the upcoming uh the future in, in the cotton markets so talk about that a little bit well the the cotton market had just horrendous weather globally india had problems china had problems we had problems and so it, it, it kept that market better supported than it should have been. Um, but because, as you mentioned, we've had these good prices for several years, and farmers have been able to actually make money growing cotton where they haven't been able to make money growing much else, um, acres are going to be up everywhere we look. Uh, in Australia, everyone's going to be increasing acres fairly substantially. And so unless we have a second year in a row where everybody who's growing cotton has bad weather again, always possible but not likely, production's going to be up significantly year over year. And while most ag markets are not necessarily terribly economically sensitive, cotton is. There's a high 
sensitivity to the global economy, to the U.S. economy. And we're seeing some economic numbers in the last week that really are um, not very promising. Japan orders way down, China, uh, you know, PMI down. I mean, everything's showing that the global economy and jobs reports in the U.S., not as good as we would like. And everything says that demand for cotton is going to be under pressure just as we're firing up uh, acres in production. And usually that's not a good recipe for higher prices. And so our general view is that we could get a rally here into the spring on some weather planting problems. But overall, we think that market could be one of the weaker markets over the next 12 months as it has been one of the strongest markets over the last 12. I think that we think the leadership there is going to shift and, um, and we would sell rallies very aggressively on any kind of spring rally, especially in cotton. Yeah. Do you think a lot of those acres that, that we see coming in this year have a potential? I mean, they've got to be, this is what it is right now, coming into spring planting season and those and those different activities that are coming up. Um, we could see some pressure, though, just because of, of maybe some planting delays in cotton. Right. That's why we think we could have a spring rally in cotton. And we think the rally might have already begun. You know, we had a nice rally yesterday. It was coming off the lows, and there was a lot of problems in the deep south cotton growing areas that we think is going to create some problems and provide at least a relief rally for cotton prices. So you're right. Remember, Texas is the key state for cotton. I mean, that's okay. the one that produces you know, a large, large amount. And, and when we look at where the wet problems, where the moisture problems lie, Texas is the one state that's actually in pretty okay shape. The little problem in East Texas, but for the most part, Texas could still have a really, really good crop, increased acres, increased yields. And if, as long as Texas comes out okay, we think that that will override some of the problems we might have in the uh, eastern southern states from planting problems. Right on. Okay. All right. So now let's jump over and take a look at um, what you you know. That let's talk about your smart money report for a minute. I mean, you've got you list everything under the under the sun as far as commodity goes in that in that deal. So, yeah. it, it give folks a little little bit of an idea of what that report is and 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 what what they're going to gain from that report. Our whole idea is that, you know, we're one person, we're one outfit. We think we're smart about some things and we try to be smart about some things, but we also know there's limitations. We can't know everything that's going on around the world simultaneously, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, assimilate it all and say that we know everything and we can come up with a forecast. I wish we could. Um, so what we rely upon is we rely upon the insiders, we call them the smart money collectively. There could be Cargill, could be big farmers, could be elevators. All these people are what we call people that are in the know. Collectively, when they're betting heavily on, a, on, a, on higher prices or betting heavily on declining prices, we use that as our prism to make our forecast based upon what we understand the market to be fundamentally. So we, we always tell our customers that we have a team of analysts working behind us in the smart money telling us what's going on. And, um, and so we been able to develop this algorithm, smart money algorithm, that picks certain parts of the commitment to trades report and has been able to synthesize that for over the last 40 years and determine when is there buying or when is there selling constitute a buy signal or a sell signal at important lows and important tops. And when those periods of time occur, we make strong recommendations for our customers, our subscribers to take action, whatever action that may be. And so we think that's a powerful methodology, um, and, it, and it gives us um, a good, consistent track record of knowing you know, when to do things. And usually, 
they're going to be bullish when everyone's bearish, and they're going to be bearish when everyone's bullish. And so it's a highly contrarian approach, but it's proven to, it's proven to work very consistently over a very long time. I mean, most of the time, these signals are going to be 80 to 90 percent successful over the course of 40 years in most of these markets. So, you know, doesn't mean you know it's perfect, but it's the best thing we know to do, and we try to convey that in our report to our subscribers each and every week. Yeah. All right, so looking out there now, we've talked about cotton and corn and wheat and everything else. G- give me what, what's your what's your sleeper out there right now that you think that uh, guys should be taking a look at and and uh, and, and following that market. I mean, I think a sleeper market, a market that maybe not everybody kind of follows that closely, but um, one that we're probably most excited about right now is probably the rice market. Um, you know, rice has futures; it's not the most liquid contract, but it's been around for a long time and. And the smart money buy signal we are getting in that market is, you know, there's degrees, right? There's a buy signal and then there can be one that's really a higher order, unusually strong signal. Um, in rice, we have that. We just have a very, very unusual strong buy signal. And when we look at the planting problems this spring, Arkansas is the dominant state that grows long grain rice, which is the basis of the futures contract. They're kind of like the Texas of cotton, okay? And when we're looking at moisture levels and where the rains are expected to continue to fall, we think there could be enormous, enormous planting problems in Arkansas. And if Arkansas doesn't get it planted and doesn't have a big crop, I mean, we're in really tough shape. And the other thing is that South America has had two bad crop years in a row uh, for rice. And so the Western Hemisphere, which normally is a net exporter of rice to the rest of the world, is going to be a net importer this year for the first, for only the third time the last 25 years. Um, it's so so we, we have a really incredibly, unusually bullish situation for rice, and, and, and with the smart money as pinned as they are, we think that market could really surprise to the upside. And, and, and so to us, that could be the market that may outperform and, and very few people are paying attention to it right now. Right. Okay, so in your smart money report today, I was reading that, you are talking about uh, the influence uh, on weather in El Nino and La Nina, and, and there's some reports in there about um, Southeast Asia and it, the effects of how the Indian Ocean is going to play into that. So, so what do you talk about that a little bit and, uh, and talk about the overall grand scheme of weather that you see happening over the next next 12 months or so? We're in a, we're in a El Nino year in 2019. It's been strengthening, and we're going to be in a solid El Nino year. It's very normal that when you enter the trough period of the solar cycle like we are now, you start off with a, an El Nino. This has happened consistently, cycle after cycle after cycle for decades. There's nothing new about this. We are in that cycle. Um, and when, so when we have an El Nino at a trough, it means look to Asia for weather problems. More importantly, when we also looked at a few weather indicators, there's a couple other things called the Indian Ocean Dipole which is the sea surface temperatures over India. Um, and we looked at something called the Polar Eurasian Pattern Index, which is a measure of the upper level circumpolar vortex of Asia. And when those indicators are um, in alignment with El Nino, you tend to have widespread drought in Asia. The last time we've had an El Nino with these two indicators in um, positive uh, confirmations like they are now, we had a widespread drought. That year was 2002. And so when we're looking at this weather phenomenon that we're seeing, 
we think that one of the big, big weather stores beyond the spring planting season in the U.S. being a problem is widespread drought in Asia, meaning India, Southeast Asia, and especially North China, which is the breadbasket for the grain production in China. So we would think that that could be a big driver for grain markets as we move into the spring forward, especially for rice, because Asia is such a prolific producer of rice. And when you do a correlation of rice prices during illness with these other indicators in their place, rice prices have had significant rallies during these periods of time, consistently going back to 1970. So, so the weather is on our side. The smart money is on our side. The weather is on our side. You know, and, and so everything says that the rice market you know, could be you know, a real powerful driver here and, and, and probably indicative of a better trend for overall grains. Rice prices just don't go up in a vacuum. They tend to go when other grain markets get going as well. So we think that could be a good precursor to a general more favorable environment uh, for grains overall. And, and by the way, the Chinese have expressed the willingness to buy U.S. rice too, which, um, you know, can also be a factor that we uh, we might have to factor in as well. Yeah. Well, plenty of good stuff going on out there, man. And um, like I said, I, you get, you send me those reports, and they're they're amazing information. So if, if folks want to reach out to you and 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 look at getting some of those reports, how would they do that? Our website's the best place at Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors They can look at a sample report, a white paper we wrote about our smart money algorithm. Um, more information about our services, you can always give us a call or send us an email as well and see if what we do um, and, and our service might be able to benefit to them. Right on. Well, Sean, I appreciate you being on here. I'm Casey Seymour, now part of uh, the Global Act Network here on the Moving Iron Podcast. And uh, Sean, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next Wednesday, buddy. I appreciate it, Mr. Casey. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher.